this morning as we continue in our study of the book of Psalms, we are reminded of wisdom. Wisdom is also necessary in life, yet, as I was reminded this week uh, while preparing for other things, uh, wisdom, when you get it, is wonderful. I mean, Solomon, who wrote this psalm most likely, or at least we think he did, uh, Solomon was known as the most wise, the wisest of them all. Yet even that was the saving from pride, from idolatry. He went on to also be the one that would split the kingdom, not because of his own necessarily doings, but but what was happening, and, and this is where anything in excess, any good thing in excess, if it, if it doesn't make us rely on who God is, we will start to think we had something to do with it. And, and that's the reality. The world is full of many idols. And some of those idols aren't, I, hear me out just a minute, aren't overtly wrong in the idea that they aren't bad things. They can be even good things, like hard work, like wisdom, like family, like church, like your abilities. They're, those are good things that can lead us astray. See, if every idol was blatant, we would be really good at saying no. You know, we look and we read in Scripture, and sometimes if you're like me, or at least if we think alike, not like me, and praise the Lord for that, you know, but if, if, if you think a little bit like me, we read some of the idols that the nation of Israel got into, and we wonder how, I mean, that sounds awful. How can you get to the point where that was the case? Most of the time, where we start is not where we end up. As the Casting Crown song says, it's a slow fade. For some of the idols that tripped up the nation of Israel, it was the culture around where you had a God that would pray for rain. Who prayed for rain two weeks ago? I want to know who prayed. You got your wish, right? The Lord answered. You know, uh, and then sometimes we pray for rain and we get it and we complain about the effects of the rain. You know, I know you, you, and some of you had no power. You had more than a creek out your backyard and, and your garden got more than well water than you want. Traumatized. Not a bad thing, but see, in the ancient Near Eastern world, if you had a God that is you know, they had the God of Israel. But when, when rain would come and they didn't think he was active or they thought that he wasn't providing, they would go, they, there was this other deity over here that if you pray to, maybe they'll give you rain. And so what was the idea? The idea was we need a harvest. So maybe, maybe this won't hurt that much. Maybe this won't get me in too much trouble. I just need a little rain before long. Because an idol is anything that is in place of God. Anything. 
that is in place of God. Doesn't matter how good it is. Doesn't matter how helpful it is. But anything that is in the place of God, if God gets first place, is that how Scripture teaches? We're going to be people of the Word and people of Scripture. We need to realize that that should be our priority. It is no wonder that the very first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the second one is, do not make an idol or a graven image. You know, which was hard. What, what we see is one of the very first um, issues of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. It was the making of an idol that would replace who God was. Why? Because God is mysterious. He doesn't always work in the ways we want to, him to work. He doesn't always show up when we want him to show up. Sometimes, if we are honest, God is a little late to the game. We have needs on our list. And, and, and sometimes we can look at that list and go, well, he's a little late there, is he not? He could have stopped this, all true. And if we're not careful, we go down a path where we start to seek an image for God other than the mysterious of God. And, and tucked within was this reminder of Deuteronomy 6, which became a daily prayer where the Israelites would, would wake up and, and say these words, at least to themselves, most of the time within a family setting, and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's unique. He is above all, a reminder of this God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Sound familiar? This is where we get our the greatest commandment. I mean, uh, you know, the New Testament isn't always contradictory to the Old Testament. I would argue never. You know, uh, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Man, what a great thing to have near our hearts. The the issue though became for some later known as the conservative group of the day of Jesus' time, the Pharisees, they took this to mean you got to have it right on your heart. These words, the, the passage goes on to say, bind them on your wrists, on your forehead, on the doors, all good things, right? But the, come Jesus' day, you would have people who would have little scrolls tied to their wrists or on their forehead. And it became more about that object than about the words they were saying. Not because they were trying to replace God. They were really trying to honor. But this is where we are reminded idolatry is subtle and tricky. At least it has been in my own life. One of the practices I try to do often is to reflect now, I'm pretty good at reflecting on what I don't do right. You know, just ask her. She knows this. I'm really good at digging a, dip, a, a, a pit of despair. You know, I'm not always the greatest at, at realizing my own strengths and confidence. You know, uh, but, but we, one of the things I've noticed is how subtle it can start to get in. 
Not always intentionally, but it is there. We live in a culture that makes it hard to see it at times. We're very good at looking at the other person. And I'm reminded even just this very moment, words of, of Jesus when he said, you know, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then what? Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of the eye. We're really good at looking out before we look in. And part of, I think, our goal, the wisdom that, that, that the psalmist and Solomon of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes would say is, look in first, and then you can look out with clarity to see clearly. And so we come to the psalm, this wisdom song. This psalm that is tucked within what is known as the Psalms of Ascents. And if you're going to do the devotions, uh, you will, we're going to always do, we're just going to be in the Psalms of Ascents this week. So you get a sense of the context of, of what is going on. And maybe words will start to bounce off and go, oh, I hear that and I hear that. Not that, not that you can't just read this psalm of its own, but you start to see as they would have repeated these over and over. There's something else. There's a little bit more about aha. For instance, some of the psalmist says, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And then you read here in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Well, if you're repeating these at the same time, you're going to make that, oh, we got something going here. You know, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand, watch, and vain. Solomon and all his wisdom in the nation of Israel, he was known for as the king who did two really good things for the city and the nation. One, he built the house of the Lord. That's where he asked for wisdom. Secondly, he secured the city. There was no longer this ongoing threat, for the most part, that they were always going to be captured again. And you see, and this is why I think personal opinion. I, I don't know exactly when in the reign of Solomon. Uh, Psalm 127 may have been in, but my guess, my, my hunch is early on. Okay? Because he realized that even if he builds the house, whether it's the house of the Lord or his own personal house, unless the Lord is involved in it, it's useless long term. Unless the Lord is the one who watches over the city, the nation, it is useless. It's vain. He's not saying here, though, don't try. But see, I think we need to see the power of it. It is in vain. It is useless because the self-made person is very attractive in our world right now. We love stories of self-made uh, millionaires or billionaires. Self-made athletes who, who defy all odds. The one that doesn't have the lineage of greatness. You know, self-madeness. You know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Pick those who create a business from scratch and it becomes the best thing. That's very attractive. It's very much a part of our culture. Not that I'm against these words, but we know in our Constitution, rightfully so, it says 
that thou mayest be capable for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can be all you can be. You can do it. The American dream is the American dream that no. Not against that. I live to some extent. I mean, I'm the first uh, kid in I believe both sides of my family, so my dad's side and my mom's side, that has, um, on my mom's side, is the first grandkid there that has a bachelor's degree. Um, I think I had a cousin on my dad's. Uh, I don't know, maybe on both sides. And then also to have a master's, a graduate level degree. You know, does that make me smarter than the rest of my family? Yeah, no. You know, don't put me in the zoo where my brother is. He ends up getting a degree and trying to take care of those animals. I don't know what I'm doing there. He doesn't want to be up here, guaranteed. You know, he wouldn't know what to do here. You know, and on my dad's side, it was, I think, his great or his great great grandfather that was an immigrant here from Centura, Italy. You know, so my dad's side doesn't go back very far, but it was the American dream that brought him here of which I'm a product of. That's, that's nothing wrong necessarily with that. But see, we get this idea that, that we need to be a self-made person and the nation of Israel, when they became their self-made nation and no longer had to rely on the Lord, that was the beginning of the end. And what I think Solomon and his wisdom is teaching us is what the, the New Testament comes out in the uh, and it, it comes out more explicit is our goal is not to be made, not to be self-made. Our goal is to be Christ-made. A Christ-made person. Which is counter-cultural. Which doesn't make sense. Because in a Christ-made individual, we will realize that sometimes one must lose in order to gain. And as a Christ-made person, we understand that sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, when we give to God what is rightfully God's, He makes up the rest. I would look just briefly, you know, at our financial report. And I can tell you, you all have been faithfully giving to God. You know, I can tell you it makes us not the norm in our churches even in our area. You have been doing this well. You understand that God's math means 90% is greater than 100%. Every time. You know, and, and, and though I grew up in a, a great home, the idea of being self-made, you know, there have been times when, once again, I had to choose, especially when I was in college. You know, poor college student. I was serving the Lord, but you know, I may have been working full-time, but the pay was far from full-time. And I remember I either had to put gas in my car. Oh, no, I had gas in the car at the time. That's when gas was like 80 cents, so it went a long way. Yeah. I either had to put food on my table or give it to the church. And I, had, I was at a crossroad. Was my own self-made effort going to get me by for two weeks? Or was I going to be Christ-made and, and realize that, that God is going to be active in this? So I gave on two separate occasions. My uncle, who lives out east, 
I don't talk with him, not because I don't like him, we just don't talk. You know? He sent me $100 in Domino's pizza gift cards, gift certificates. Do you know how much food you can do with that? Even as a poor college student, a whole, and you know, fortunately it wasn't just all pizza. You know how I had subs and, <clears throat> okay. Now you can sit there and you can tell me that was just a coincidence. And I'm gonna say, it's you. Because you will say that if you are self-made. <clears throat> if you think it is all about your efforts, if you are working hard, as the psalmist says, if you're trying to fill the house and you're laboring and you're watching the city and you rise early and you stay up late and you're trying to get food, you will tell me it was a coincidence. And I will tell you, when we wait upon the Lord, we honor the Lord. He will show up and show up in ways that we will go, yeah, yeah, not me. And if we don't go, yeah, not me, we miss the point of the psalm here. We've missed it. It goes on even to say that, uh, you know, children, you know, this idea that we think we have this idea of children, our heritage from the Lord, it is a reminder that as much as we are involved in that process, there is one greater than that in the process. And part of the reminder for Solomon in the world of the Psalms is they had this idea that if you just did good, God always provided. And there's a lot of truth in that, but it's also saying it doesn't always work that way. You can do the right things, but you can miss God. And my goal, my point this morning is we need to understand that our goal is to be Christ made, not self And that is going to be hard. But we can do this because we are reminded God is involved. God is active and involved. These are everyday tasks Solomon is talking about. Building a home. Building a city. Yet God is involved in that. Contrary to most of the other religions of the ancient Near East. Contrary to that, where they thought they were up there, there was a collection of them. They may have been involved, they may not have been involved. God is like, no, I'm involved in this. Watching the city toiling. Child period. God is involved. Hard work, Solomon says, is good, but it's not the reason for your success. How many of us, we know maybe this to be good, but how many of us really believe that? You know, I've gotten really good in the past five years of ignoring my phone calls. And I've got a voicemail sitting now I've got to pick up. It's a, it's a good voicemail. I kind of read it and it came across my watch. So I knew how quickly I needed to respond. You know, and they probably wanted a response Friday. Um, and I just, I was in a different state. And I'll deal with it later. You know, and that, but we're, we're used to always being, um, look at my phone book, back there. We're used to being able to do whatever we want, whatever we want. We have this idea that working a lot is good. You know, the pandemic changed that to some extent, but we're back there. I read uh, a month or so ago, there was a CEO in our world that is highly respected, does lots of good things, in my opinion, and he said, yeah, you can work from home as long as you work 40 hours in the um, office as well. Uh, there's something about that that doesn't quite make sense, does it? 
granted, this is a person that works 80 plus hours a week. Okay? They're up early, they're up late. Psalmist Solomon talks about this. He's not saying don't get up early, don't stay awake late. But he's saying, if you want to understand your role as a Christ follower to us, your role as the nation of Israel, you have to realize there is a God who is above your efforts. And I believe we need to reclaim the rhythms of life in Scripture. Tucked within the Old Testament law was the idea of seasons. Every six days you work, and the seventh was called what? Sabbath. Every six years you worked, and the seventh was a Sabbath. Every 49 years, and the 50th was a year of Jubilee, where all things were brought back to the original. Why? It doesn't make sense, does it? You let the fellow Israelites who willingly went to your service go? That's not right. I purchased land from a different family, I gave it back. Well, that's not right. Because in God's economy, things are different. A reminder that it isn't your work. A reminder every week for the nation of Israel. A reminder every seven years for the nation of Israel that they didn't get crops, they didn't reap the harvest just because they went out there and sowed seeds and did the work. Now, Leland, I'm not a farmer, am I? You've seen me in your fields, right? You don't want me being your farmer, do you? All right, good. I'm glad he says that. I don't want to be his farmer. But, but I'm smart enough to know that unless you plant seed, wheat, in the fall and winter, you're not going to get a harvest in the spring summer, are you? Not typically, right? Art, is that good farming advice to some extent? You have to plant in order to get something? All right. See, I know enough to be very dangerous. But you come into God's economy, and they tell you, hey, stop for one year. Whoa. Now who are you going to trust? Stop for one year. I don't want us to get legalistic with these rhythms of life. But sometimes, as I've been learning over these past couple years, I have to be good for nothing to understand that God is good always. I have to be good for nothing. I, brother, this of always being active. I mean, one of the things as I've taken inventories over the year that they kind of consistently show up is I'm really good at just getting us moving. All right. I don't just think, I'm like, let's go. I think enough, but let's go. All right? My wife's laughing because she knows it's true. You know, in many ways, the one, right? There is, there's a lot of wisdom. Can you see how it gets plugged in our house? You know, she, you know, uh, I think, I, I truly do think, I think through things, and I can think very long and hard and deep and go over it, and then if I, hey, let, let's go. Either we're going to go or we're not. And I'm always going to go for the go. You know? You know, uh, this place
plays out in our vacation. One of the things I've had to learn over the years is she has to think for a couple of days prior to us leaving, and then for that day, and I'm like, let's get up and go. Well, we might get something. Oh, well, there's grocery stores. There's Walmarts. You know, and if we're going to be there for a week, there's Amazon. Let's go. And I've learned our first couple painful vacations were probably horrific for her. Okay? Because I'm like, look, you said we were leaving at 10 o'clock. It's like 10 10. And it was, hey, it's 10 30. What's wrong? I want to load the car. It's, it's 11.30. Why haven't we left yet? You know, now I know when she says 10 o'clock, I just, I got my, I've thought through it enough to know what time is realistic. Which one of us is at fault? Me and her, both. But it's not about our efforts. We need these rhythms of life to learn that God can do more when we're honoring him with our 90% than we can do with our 100% every single time. It doesn't mean it always works out the way we would think. So how do we make sure we're not running this race in vain? To borrow a little bit from Paul. One, we must humble ourselves into community with others. It's easy to think you are self-made when you are alone. When it doesn't depend on you. When you don't need somebody to say, hey, I think I can do that. But when you actually have to submit and go, I need some help. I want some help. Or I just want somebody there. When we are self-made, typically isolate ourselves from others. Yet this is not what God's plan for the church is. God's plan for the church is for this. And some of you are at a stage of life where you know that. But some of us are not. Some of us who are younger very much have strength left. We have our own kids. It's easy to be isolated from others. I mean, because really, what this is the thinking, I don't believe it's true. What, what, what are old people really supposed to teach us? We, we can figure it out. I, I don't need somebody. We miss it. And sometimes those of you who are older go, I don't have anything to speak in. I mean, after all, I can't run a computer, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's not about those things. It's about being in community. We must humble ourselves. This is why one of the things I'm praying, and you can give me some insight and feedback on, is how can we create some other kind of spaces for community where we're in this together? Maybe it's a, uh, another Bible study or small group. Maybe it's a different group. Maybe, I don't know. But see, as much as I love technology, you know I do, as much as I, we can do this in different ways, we've got to stay connected. We've got to grow. Discipleship according to God's way is never meant for you and I to do it on our own in the privacy of our own home. It was always in connection with one another. So how do we do that? Got ideas? Let me know. You know, uh, I, I might be a mover, but I'm not always the brightest. Okay, I get this. We'll do something. Unless the Lord just knocks me over the head and says, stop it. And he can do that. He's done that. Well, how can we invest ourselves in the community? Secondly, we must be able to relax 
to remind us that our worth is not in our efforts. Not that our effort is bad. I was reminded as I finished preparing this morning the story of Martha and Mary in the Gospels, uh, where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is busy doing the things. And Martha complains, and that's okay. But the response of Jesus wasn't to tell Martha, stop doing all the work. A meal had to be served. He says, at this moment, I paraphrase. At this moment, Mary has chosen the better thing for her, and it will not be taken from her. Are you able to relax? But in my work, 
especially with those uh, in addiction that I work with, both in the church and out of the church. One of the things I teach them is stop working so hard. That sounds very counterproductive. But sometimes you're working so hard, you're not open to the fact that the Holy Spirit can do more when we stop than when I get away and try. And there's a process with that. Sometimes when you're very anxious and depressed, you can't stop thinking. I'd encourage you to stop. Because most of the time when we lighten up, what we're doing is, I will not be anxious, I will not be anxious, I will not be anxious. No, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm still anxious. Okay? I won't do something. Normally means you're focusing on that thing. And so he doesn't need our more effort, but instead he desires to rest in I wonder, he said, come to me all who are of you, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But that means we have to renounce the value of self-madeness. To some extent, we must renounce the idol of the American dream. Not just that they're not Jesus. They're not the most important. They won't get you what you want. Because in the end, say, prepared for another funeral this speak of one bond too soon, who can live and not taste death? Or as Job would have said, naked I came into this world and naked will I leave. Well, not 100% because normally most bodies are clothed. The reality is, if you could work all you want, Typically, what you get is tiredness. Is a, I've never made it. And this is the invitation to Christ's church for us. Let us rest in him. Remember, our goal is to be Christ-made, not self It's not about what's in your bank account at the end of the day. About are you submitting to the Lord? Are you willing to serve and not be served? Are you willing to give as this church has been given? Not because it makes sense. Are you willing to invest in someone else's life? Not because it makes sense, but because when you submit to Christ, we leave room for the fact He is God. And I am not. And I hope. You will reflect on that this week. Or, when we do this, truly, the words of the psalmist says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to nothing. Where does my hope come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That means you and I can. Okay? We can sleep. You know? Okay. I can sleep. You know? The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord. Watching over your 
and soul do this week. May you rest in him. And may you do as we're going to